Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hyperion Hub. I'm John Alois, and on the line, we have Sean Degenhart. Hey, John. And John Redling Schaefer. Hello there. And we're going to kick things off like we usually do with our Disney views. And this week, John has that. John, take it away. In the past, I've done a view over patience with Disney, and I think this is a nice segue. Um, you find yourself occasionally, at least I do when I can't sleep, digging down an internet wormhole that uh, you might not be able to find your way out of. And after watching the Imagineering story on Disney Plus many moons ago, I, I got on one such quest. And it was really related to the resorts outside of the United States. And can, you know, let's start with a little bit of a quiz. Do you know the only resort outside of the U.S. that's completely owned by Walt Disney Company? Completely owned. I think, go ahead, Sean. Uh, is it Disneyland Paris? It is. They it just is. purchased it. Yeah, yeah it, was not, it was not originally set up that way, but it gave me some insight into really how unique, you know, we always talk about the cultural differences between uh, the various countries where the parks and resorts are located. Um, but it, it really, like I said, I, I wanted to dig and learn a little bit more. Um, it gave me about 45 minutes uh, looking at the Oriental Land Group, a company I'd never heard of until I watched the Imagineering story. And a company set up in July of 1960 to look at reclaiming land in Japan um, to, you know, at some point develop cultural life and the welfare of its citizens, according to its website, and this small little subtle nod about developing a major leisure facility. Well, come to find out, I think we all know what that became after a 1974 agreement between Walt Disney Productions and the Oriental Land Company. Um, and then a subsequent agreement finalized in 79, and then, oh, I don't know, construction of Tokyo Disneyland starting in December of 1980. And so I just think it's important for all of us to think about how, you know, for example, shutting down a theme park in the midst of a pandemic. How easy is this done? Well, it's not necessarily someone in Burbank making the call. I, I can't even begin to imagine what the, uh, the government uh, involvement is with Shanghai, with Hong Kong. Yeah. And I know that, you know, even in the United States, there's some fascinating stories about the history of the Reedy Creek Improvement District uh, with Walt Disney World and a special unit of government created by the legislature in Florida. Yes, it's pretty much run by Disney folks, but, you know, whether it be Disneyland with the city of Anaheim or Disney World or Shanghai or Tokyo or any other park, you have to realize that Disney is a monumental corporate leader in the world things aren't going to change on a dime. And so, you know, again, I, I started my comment at the beginning about still being patient as we see things unfold throughout the world during these times. Um, but I just thought it was interesting and, and want the, you know, I guess the listener to think about how sophisticated it must be to change a policy, to change uh, something simple for you and me uh, when you're dealing with layers upon layers of corporations and or units of government. Yeah, I've, I've uh, not done a whole lot of research on the parks overseas because I've never been there. Sean, have you been to any of the other uh, I have parks? not been to the overseas parks, but knowing just a little bit about what all is involved in making even the smallest decision in the U.S., I can't imagine what has to go on with you know the different cultures and different governments, and it just would be mind-boggling to me. 
Right. So you bring up a great point. Not only do they have to deal with their own at-home government, but they also have to deal with Disney and vice versa. Disney has to take into consideration all the ramifications of what it takes to close or reopen a theme park. Um, and, and we've primarily focused on what's happening in the United States for obvious reasons, but that's something, uh, yeah, I hadn't considered. Now, do you know much about the Oriental Land Company outside of Disney and, and what they, uh, you mentioned why they were created, but I doubt in, when did you say 60? 1960, I believe. Okay, so it would have been, what, 23 years later that they opened up a Disney theme park. Um, that couldn't have, yeah, that's an interesting topic in itself, how Disney found them to work with them. And so according to the company's website, it's actually the Oriental Land Group right now because there's about 10 to 15 subsidiaries. And, you know, while they might have been talking about reclamation at the beginning, you know, all of these subsidiaries maybe relate to each new hotel, maybe Disney Sea, maybe, you know, even the uh, monorail line that they have there. Um, so in, I'd have to say primarily the Oriental Land Company now group still has its primary focus, but you're right, early on, they were, re they were reclaiming land for at least 10 years before this idea of what the leisure facilities, houses, uh, and other things contributing to the cultural life, as they described it, led to a basic agreement with Disney. I mean, that was December 1974 when we first saw some basic agreement, the final deal, you know, licensing, all that other stuff isn't done until April of 79. And, and from what it looks like on their, on their website, every 10 to 15 years, if not more frequently, they're renewing agreements with them because I'm sure new licensing, uh, new other terms and conditions, because I know Imagineering would want to have its hand in whatever new development's going to be there. I sense a show topic in our future, the totally dedicated to probably not only this, these, uh, two parks, but all the parks around the world. From what I've understood, from everything I've read, from people I've spoken to who've been there, many people claim Tokyo Disney Sea is the greatest theme park in the world. And I'd love to visit it. And we should dive into it at some point. Hi, I think get we it? dive into it. <laughs> Tokyo Disney Sea. Sorry. We got it. We got it. <laughs> Go ahead, Sean. I, I don't know what to say after that. No, um, I would say I was just a little surprised at how soon after the opening of Disney World that they started pursuing the overseas parks. Um, because I know with Walt Disney World being such a struggle, you know, after Walt's death to get off the ground and Roy, you know, Walt's brother Roy coming out of retirement, you know, that they would be that eager that soon to really start pursuing the international presence. Yeah. And from what we understand, from the research we've done, uh, Walt never really gave indication of expanding into other countries, as far as I know. So that is interesting. We're going to have to figure that out and report on that at some point. But uh, yeah, that was only three years after the opening of Walt Disney World. And obviously, talks taking place probably before that even. So, mm -hmm. yeah. All right. On to our main topic. And Sean, take it away. Okay, well, we are thrilled to have a very special guest with us. Um, as listeners know, my fascination with Disney began after our first trip that we took with our girls back in 2012. Fell in love with Disney's customer service, um, just the way they did things. And I started reading every book I could find. And 
One of the authors of many of those books is Lee Cockrell, former executive vice president at Walt Disney World. I discovered Lee's podcast a couple of years ago and was very excited to discover that his co-host and producer is from right here in the Peoria, Illinois area. So Jody Mayberry, welcome. Thank you for joining us on the Hyperion Hub. Oh, Sean, what a treat. And it's so exciting to join some fellow fellows from the prairie it's it's neat there i don't it, it's just a, a fun coincidence that we ended up meeting and here we are yeah i started listening to lee's podcasts a couple years ago and have gotten through now all 300 episodes you recently celebrated your 300th episode of creating disney magic and so i feel like i know you very well um <laughs> So it is just exciting to have you joining us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, you know, a little bit about your family background. Well, sure. I grew up right where you are, Peoria, Illinois, and I went to college at Illinois State University, so also right there in central Illinois. And I assumed that just like most people that grow up in Peoria, I would end up there the rest of my life because all of us do, usually. And I took a trip out west right after college. It was like my, my one big hurrah before working the rest of my life. And I, I currently live in Washington State, which is where the trip took me to. So I was on the road for three months living out of a tent. And when I saw Washington State, I said, I can't go back home. Uh, I, I enjoy Illinois. I'm so glad I'm from there. But I can't see what I've seen and go back home. But I had to, so I came back home, packed everything in my trunk. That was in August. By September, I had hit the road and have never been back since. Well, I've been back to visit, but never to live. And that that's what brought me out here to the great state of Washington. And within probably six months of being out here, I met the girl who would then end up being my wife. And now we've got two kids together, been married for 20 years, and it's just been wonderful. I had some good stints of different careers along the way, financial analyst, and then a park ranger, and then marketing director, and then I struck out on my own, and that's how we got connected. Had I not struck out on my own, I wouldn't have started podcasting, and we wouldn't be here today. Yeah, so what led you to the podcasting? So uh, the, I mentioned I used to be a park ranger. Eight years I was a park ranger, and when I left, I went back to school to get an MBA and I kept thinking, wow, I am learning so much that wouldn't it be neat if we could apply this to parks? But I don't want to go back and be a park ranger. So I was thinking of starting a blog about leadership in parks. So that's when I bought the note, domain parkleaders.com. And then Jared Easley, who is the co-founder of Podcast Movement, we were friends and I suggested a guest to be on his show. And he said, yeah, I'll do that as long as you're the guest co-host. I thought, I listen to that now. I did terrible. But Jared showed me some grace and he kept inviting me back as a guest co-host. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to do a blog. I'm going to do a podcast. So I just gathered up six people I was already connected to and interviewed them, launched the Park Leader Show, and then started reaching out to people I didn't know and that's how the Park Leader Show started to grow. Okay, and then take us now to Lee Cockrell and how you got to know him and how you got connected with the Disney company. Uh, well, that story involves just 
being willing to ask for some unreasonable things and just some good luck playing in. So I was starting to think, well, I need to talk to someone from Disney to see what parks can learn from Disney. Because, yes, they are themed parks, but Disney runs parks, just like the National Park Service, just like state parks. Well, I didn't have a, a connection at Disney, so I searched on Amazon and I found a book called Creating Magic, authored by Lee Cockrell, who was the former executive vice president of Walt Disney World. I thought there's no way... He's going to be a guest on a show for park rangers, but I'm not going to answer that question for him. I'll let him say no. So I reached out to him and asked. Now, what I didn't know is Lee's sister-in-law was a park ranger for 30 years. So he said, oh, of course, I love park rangers. I'll come on your show. It went really well. People loved him. We got great feedback. So I asked him to be on the show again. So he came back. We did another episode. And after recording that episode, I said, Lee, the feedback has just been great. People people are loving you on this show. Have you ever thought of doing your own podcast? And he said, no, I, I'm retired. I want to feel retired. It's It sounds interesting, but I don't want more work. And I just saw the opportunity. And I said, Lee, what if you just show up and I'll do all the work? And he said, yeah, I'll think about it. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll probably never hear from Lee again. About two weeks later, he called me, said, I've been thinking about that. I think we should do a podcast together. So that was in in October when he said that. And then I spent two months just researching Lee Cockrell, reading his books, reading his blog posts, watching every YouTube video on him I could until I felt I was ready and I knew him well enough I could do it. And then we launched the show in December of 2014. And as Sean said, we just hit episode 300 which sean said he listened to every episode so if uh, on average let's say that's 15 minute episodes that's 75 hours sean has listened to me and lee cockrell talk well i've got about a half hour commute to work so i can do about four episodes a day (laughs) (laughs) well there you go that sure is a lot of jody mayberry though (laughs) yeah Hey, can I ask, Jody, so you, you transferred from that, and now you host a series of podcasts. How did you fall in line with those other shows as well? And can you list all those for us? When you get the opportunity to work with someone like Lee Cockrell, and you do a good job, people start reaching out to you saying, can you do for me what you do for Lee? So the first show to reach out, so at this point, I had the Park Leader Show, and I had Creating Disney Magic. The next show was someone that reached out and said, I love the show. Can we do one? That was Agents in Action. That was for real estate agents. Then there was a Catalyst Sale podcast, which is uh, Catalyst Sale. Mike Simmons, he trains sales professionals. It's a great show. That's still going. Uh, the only other show I can think of off the top of my head that we started and don't still have going is... Great Escape Radio, that was for uh, a travel writing podcast, basically. So the others that we got, the cleverly titled Jody Mayberry Show, (laughs) Come Rain or Shine with Dan Cockrell, that's Lee's son, we do a show together. If Disney Ran Your Life with Jeff Knoll. And Jeff's a former executive as well, correct? Yeah, so Dan Cockrell, not only is he Lee's son, he spent 26 years with Disney, started out parking cars and at Epcot, ended up Vice President of Magic Kingdom. 
But Lee was recruited by Disney to help open Disneyland Paris, and then Dan also went to Paris. So they were both together in Paris, but doing different different roles. If Disney ran your life, that's Jeff Knoll. He was with Disney for 30 years. Morgan James Radio, so that's a book publisher. And off top, I haven't counted them on my finger, so I, I don't know if I've captured all of them. But I currently have seven going. Wow. I've peaked out at, at eight. Eight's the most I've had at at one time. My goodness. How, how many hours a week can you, can you possibly dedicate to all of this? <laughs> well, luckily for me, I have put good systems in place and I just have a good team. Yeah. So, so looking back at all of the, um, the Disney related podcasts that you've been doing, how has Disney affected your life? The Disney company? Oh my Personally, goodness. professionally. You know, the interesting thing is prior to working with Lee, I had been to Disney World once for one day, and that was it. So I didn't have much to go on, but now I'm I'm so entrenched with with Disney that it Im- impacts everything I do. I mean, you go shopping, and you you start to get this level of understanding what leadership should be, what management should be, what customer service should be, and when you don't see it, you start to realize, oh, look at that. There, there's a hole there or bad service. They must have a bad manager. So that's one side. And you could say that's good or bad, that everywhere you go now, you always compare it to how good Disney is. But even as guests at Disney, you probably do that too because you just get spoiled by good service. So that happens to me as well. But then on top of that, it, it just has it's helped me so much personally to understand what excellence is and just little, little concepts like don't try to be the best, just get better every day. Ideas like that and understanding how details matter and being good is one thing, but being great. All these little pieces that impact my life and how I run my, my business, they've all been there. And now I go to Disney all the time and I, I like doing it, one, because it's fun and I enjoy the rides. I, I enjoy all the same things you do and why you go to Disney. But I also get to see it from the operation standpoint. So that for me is, is a different experience because I spend so much time with Lee Cockrell and with Dan Cockrell and other Disney people. And then I get to actually see it in action. And that I enjoy just sitting and watching. I get as much enjoyment out of that as I do as doing rides and the other stuff at Disney. It's been neat uh, listening to Lee's and Dan's and Jeff's podcasts. You know, they all come from the same company and they're all sharing the same ideals, but their outlook and how, you know, their perception and the way they're viewing things. And it's all different, different perspectives, which has been great for me, kind of a, you know, self-student of leadership and studying all those things, just hearing the different perspectives that they bring. Yeah, that that is really neat because they all combine their years. There's a lot of Disney experience, but they all come from it in a different way. Even Dan and Lee have completely different viewpoints. You know, there's a common theme in, in all of your podcasts and uh, that seem to focus on leadership. How important is it to you that successful leaders share those thoughts and ideas and and share their experiences it's crucial to a culture and i realized that when i was a park ranger i noticed 
three styles of leadership in parks. And I'm convinced this is probably true everywhere. So the three part styles of park managers I got to work for, one, he was all about the people. He invested himself in the staff and just knew if I take care of you, you take care of the customer, which is very much Disney-like. The second was all about the park. So the first is about the people. The second is about the park. She would always say, no, we've got to take care of the park, what's best for the park. The park comes before the staff. The park comes before the visitors. That's what we're here for, to protect and operate this park. And the third management style or leadership style was all based on personality, what the manager was feeling, what he thought, what he should go. I mean, people would make decisions that weren't quite best for the park because it would make the manager happy. So it was all driven on his personality. And I just saw the impact that that had, the three different leadership styles. And and if you adapt them from a park, you could say it's about people, product, and personality. So replace the park with the product. And the, the manager that focused on the people, if I take care of you, you'll take care of the visitor, he had diehard people that that just loved him they were going to stay there as long as he was there and so it's just so important in the culture that he built he would take the time out of his day if someone was interested he would show why we do this this way why we make these decisions why we want to do this as opposed to that and sharing his experience i was a fresh park ranger. And my background was as a financial analyst. I didn't know anything about parks. So that to me really helped out my career. Now, if I had come in under one of the other managers that was park first or personality first, I would have learned so much different. He was a great example of why it matters for a leadership or a leader to have the, the right leadership style, to share experiences, and, and build the right culture. And, and I've just always remembered that. And as I moved up through the ranks in, in parks, I always tried to make it about people. Now, that's not to say there's not a place for the product. There's not a place for personality. But if you keep the people first. So I think that's a circular way to answer your question. But it does highlight why it's important for leaders to share their experiences because it helps build a culture in an organization. I realize, okay, I have somebody that will sit down and explain the the why and the how, and not everybody has that. That was part of the spirit as well as why I decided podcast over blog for park leaders, because I was lucky enough to have those conversations as a new ranger coming up, but not everybody is. So what if I can get these park leaders in on the conversation for other people to hear. What's the best advice you've ever received? And it could be from anyone, from your years of podcasting experience, from a parent or a teacher. What is the best advice Jody Mayberry has received? It came from Lee Cockrell, and it was passed to him from his father-in-law. So it's interesting how advice can get handed down like this, like a good story or, or like an artifact. But Lee's father-in-law, who's Dan Cockrell's grandfather, was a rear admiral in the Navy. And he told Priscilla, I, I believe it was towards the end of his life, to do your best and forgive yourself. 
and I remind myself of that all the time. I, I, I've had a lot of good advice given to me during my life, but I don't know if there's another piece that I have found so useful every day than do your best and forgive yourself. Wow. That's great. I've heard that several times on the podcasts and <laughs> reminding myself of that every day too. So tell us about your future plans. I know you've got the Cockrell Academy coming up. What else is on the horizon for you? Yeah, let's start with the Cockrell Academy. So let me back up and tell you why this is so exciting. When I first started working with Lee and I was trying to understand who he was and, and how to present him and what stories to tell. Now, this is a guy who was an executive with Marriott, recruited to open Disneyland Paris, ran Walt Disney World. At the time, when I asked him this question, had two books, Creating Magic, The Customer Rules, fantastic books. And I said, Lee, with all the accomplishments you've done, what is it you want to be remembered for? And he said, I want people to remember me as a teacher. And I feel that now we're finally getting there to the Cockrell Academy, which will help people remember Lee as a teacher. All of Lee's content is going into the Cockrell Academy, which is a way for people to get really in-depth learning about leadership, management, customer service. We're launching, you're actually getting more detail than anyone else has gotten so far, but we're, <laughs> we're launching exclusive with, <laughs> with six courses, three of which I think people might have already known, but two have, we've never even whispered that they're out there yet. One is based on the customer rules. It's called world-class customer service. And it is, it's huge because there's 39 rules in the customer rules. So we go over each one of them, how you can apply them. And then we're going to have monthly content as well. Interviews with, with other Disney people and uh, Lee and I putting stuff out. So it's going to be uh, tuition every year, uh, starting out at a, at a great price because of what we're all going through. Lee just wants it to be available to a lot more people. So we're already working on the next round of courses. So that is, it's so exciting. And I already know what's there. So I'm excited for you too, in case you, you end up at, doing the Cockrell Academy. It's, it's just fantastic. So that's coming. Uh, Dan Cockrell's book, we've been working on that, the sales and the promotion of that for a while. That comes out August 11th. That's, and I narrated the audio version, putting the last final touches on that. So that's another one that's coming soon. I and have then, Dan's book. Oh, I pre-ordered and I have oh, a copy of that already. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's good. He did a wonderful job telling stories and mm -hmm. pulling a lesson out and then how you can apply it. Uh, then personally, I, I continue to put out the episodes of the Jody Mayberry show and have, well, until our current situation, I was doing a lot more speaking and, and that was fun because it gets me out with people. That's, I just love that going to the different, different places and meeting so many people. So as soon as the world opens again, I will start speaking. In fact, Lee and I, there were, were coming to central Illinois. I was really looking forward to that one. Yeah. You're supposed to be here in September. So we're looking at some dates, maybe early next year or next spring to get you guys up here. Yeah. Yeah. That, so that sort of thing I'm really looking forward to. And I'm working on uh, two books, which isn't the way to do it. You should just work on one. Cause I find myself <laughs> going back and forth between the two. If I just had focused on one in the beginning, I'd be done by now, but a couple of books coming out, one on podcasting, and oh, then great. one, yeah. So uh, I actually have 
I've started a course too, Podcast Magic, because I get so many podcast questions that I said, all right, I'm going to put it everything I know in one course. So Podcast Magic, and I've got a Podcast Magic guide on my website. So if you want to check that out, jodymayberry.com, you can download that and get some good podcast tips. And that's where things are heading. I feel like the 2020 was just off to a fabulous start. I I was having so much fun and I haven't, I haven't left my little area here since I got home from Orlando on March 16th, but I know everybody has that same story. So as we wrap up, um, tell us how people can contact you, whether they want you to host their podcast or they want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing. Well, you can start at jodymayberry.com. That is my home on the web. And then I'm on all the social medias as Jody Mayberry, except on Instagram, you'll find me as Sugar J Mayberry. That's a whole other story. (laughs) Great. And Mayberry only has one Y, right? Yeah. There's no Y in the middle. M-A-B-E-R-R-Y. Great. Well, Jody, thank you so much. It's been great to actually listen to you and have you answer my questions. Because when I ask him in the car, I don't always get the answer. So I uh, really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule um, to join us. And just thanks so much. All right. Thank you. It was such a treat to join you. And it's always a treat to have you with us. That's going to do it for this week. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at com. Wherever you're listening to us, we ask you to please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And tell as many people as you like. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us so more people can find us. Thanks and have a great week, everybody. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. Find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Hyperion Hub is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its subsidiaries. We'll meet you next time at the Hyperion Hub.